and thank you for joining us here at Ask a Historian. I'm Matthew Wilkinson, historian with Heritage Mississauga, and each week we invite you to send in your questions and we'll explore the fascinating stories of the city of Mississauga together. For this week's episode, we welcome Amanda Templeton, a volunteer with the Cemetery Committee for Trinity Anglican Church in Streetsville, and we'll explore some of the stories of this historic cemetery and the upcoming tours that they are offering. So again, thank you for joining us, and make sure to subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date on many of the programs from Heritage Mississauga. Well, joining us this week on Ask a Historian is Amanda Templeton, who is a volunteer with uh, the Cemetery Committee at Trinity Anglican Church in Streetsville. And the Cemetery Committee is doing some uh, some wonderful work in the historic cemetery that's literally tucked in behind the church. And so thank you, Amanda, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the, the history and the story of the church and the cemetery? Absolutely. So the congregation itself was founded in 1841. Um, in 1842, the cornerstone was placed. The bricks and the uh, space for the church and cemetery were donated by Henry Rutledge, and the church officially opened in 1843. And, and what about the, the, the cemetery behind? Because I know a lot of people who know the church today know that the, the church that we see today is not the historic church, although it, it, it echoes the original church, particularly the tower. Um, but uh, the uh, unfortunately, the original church lost to fire and, and replaced. But the cemetery itself is arguably the oldest part of the property today. It is. So the, the cemetery itself, the first interment uh, took place in 1843. Um, so that is 178 years ago, which is quite impressive. So if you were to come and take a look, um, by all means, on the cemetery grounds, a lot of the stones are 178 years old and younger. Um, a lot you will find in the 1850s, 1860s, but by far the oldest one, the first one was in 1843. I said you have exceptional math skills if you did that one on the fly. <laughs> um, so part of what you you have undertaken, uh, uh, and I had a sneak pre a sneak peek of it, and, and I think you have some wonderful stories to share. But what is the development of a, a a walking tour? I mean, the the I know the cemetery committee is looking to rejuvenate the space and, and kind of. Uh, uh, breathe some energy back into into the old cemetery right um and but part of this is the walking tour you developed absolutely so that started as a bit of a hobby so i joined the cemetery committee back in late 2015 um very active starting in 2016 and our goals of the old committee were basically to find monuments and repair them and restore them and as we went through and we're going through the cemetery lists and finding monuments and people come hey you know do you have a few minutes to show me that so when the new committee was formed um, and they asked me what I would like to do as far as that committee, I said, I really want to stay on heritage and preservation. So it was, it was commented that, you know, I had all this great information, but it was sitting there and it wasn't being shared. So I was asked if I wouldn't mind um, pulling together some highlights for a tour that started really with about five to six stops. Now it's up to 13 and growing. So it's, it's quite exciting. It's every day that you go into the cemetery, you find something that you didn't notice before. So that's kind of where it, it all kind of started for me. There, there's there's an old adage in our circles that we call you know refer to cemetery student stones as the cheat sheets of history uh and and you know it's got the names and the dates and you kind of tell the story through the people and the experiences that are recorded for those that that, that once lived in this community and and now of course buried in this community and 
I, I know I, not only through your tour, but just, you know, the sheer history of the site, you have some fairly significant individuals connected to the early informative years of Streetsville buried therein. And, and, uh, and it's not that the cemetery has become frozen in time because, you know, you, you, it is still uh, an active cemetery, an active congregation. Um, but, uh, you know, a long and storied history of, of, of those that are buried within. Um, and, I, and I had an opportunity to take your tour. Maybe this is a bad sales job, but anybody looking to take a wonderful tour. <laughs> Thank you. Connect with Amanda. We'll share the dates of the upcoming tours coming up. But uh, Well, I did have some help from, from you as well. So thank you for that. Always willing to help. And we still have to explore the story of, of, uh, of uh, a few of them that are that are <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, and I know that there's, there, there's more stories to be told than the ones that, that we, that we know and, and that you've, you've, you've connected to because every life is a story, obviously. And, and uh, so maybe this is a call out too, for those that have, uh, have ancestors buried in the cemetery is reach out and connect and, and share those stories, share those pictures. Help us tell the story of people that that lived long ago and, and are buried in, in, within our community today. Um, so, um, in terms of uh, some highlights, we're not going to give away all secrets because the idea no. is to have people come out for the tour. Uh, but um, uh, you, you selected a, a few kind of highlights to talk about in terms of individual right. stories, and the first one is is uh, uh, one that. Uh, most people who travel in Streetsville, probably by the thousands, have passed a building associated with this man, and that is the story of John Barnhart Sr. Yes, so John Barn Barnhart moved here from Kingston in 1821. He was a militia in the War, the war of 1812. Um, and one thing that you will pass by, like you said, at Queen and Main Streets is the Montreal House. It is a white uh, wooden building. It is the oldest commercial building standing and operating in Mississauga. I remember about 20 years ago, it used to be a classical barber shop on one side. It was a children's toys and bookstore and clothing store in the back. Uh, now it is still a barber shop, an ice cream shop and a Greek restaurant. Um, but he started the Montreal house with his wife, uh, Olive Barnhart. Is fascinating that it's, it's still standing and in use today. And his sons over generations, I mean, they, you can't shake a stick in Streetsville history and not, not come across a Barnhart. That's uh, right. And kind of like the Rutledges, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, but you talk about families that, uh, through sheer number uh, of, of descendants, have really impacted the lives of generations of people and inter interacted with the lives of generations of people within, uh, within Streetsville. Uh, it's quite a, you know, it, just from a, a family name alone, the, the Barnhart is, is all over all, the, the story of Streetsville. But Streetsville is named for Timothy Street. And uh, you do have a Timothy Street. I do uh, have a Timothy Street. I do not have, we do not have the Timothy Street, which most people are familiar with. And the funny part of this is when I joined the congregation and I joined the cemetery committee in the beginning, I thought we did have the Timothy Street, until I was told to take a walk down to the Presbyterian Church and see the actual Street family plot. Now, we have Timothy Street Jr. Uh, why he's interred with us and not with the family plot, I, I'm not 100% sure, but um, he has a bit of an interesting story behind him. He had gone out uh, one evening with a few of his friends and were having some drinks and having some fun and had gone out to the barn behind the Telegraph Hotel had a cigarette and it's not pronounced which cigarette obviously had caused the fire, but unfortunately 
um, this celebration caused the Globe and the Telegraph Hotel uh, with a couple stables and a store to burn to the ground. And tragically, Timothy Street Jr. and his colleagues did perish in that fire. So you talked about the moments that kind of shape a community. I mean, you know, not everyone is a positive growth experience. I mean, sometimes it's through loss and, you know, we no longer have uh, those, those significant buildings on our landscape, the, the Telegraph and the Globe Hotel, which roughly on, uh, trying to think here from a geography perspective, north of Main Street and on the, uh, on the uh, west side of, May, uh, of Queen Street. Right. Um, and, uh, but, you know, here in, a, here in the cemetery, you have a, a gravestone to Timothy Street Jr. Uh, who lost his life in the fire that claimed those buildings and uh, may or may not have inadvertently, inadvertently started it himself, but we, we don't know that for sure. But certainly that, that loss must have been felt within the family uh, as well. I mean, uh, streets were not a prolific family like some of the other ones were, but very much uh, tied to the lifeblood of the community. Uh, Absolutely. Your name. Um, and uh, I mean, we've got some stories perhaps of uh, uh, some characters in the community and uh, and uh, one being the Commodore. Uh, yes. Henry Rutledge. Who, who, Henry Rutledge. Yeah, I, I mean, I we can talk lots about Henry Rutledge, but, you know, tied to the creation of the church itself and, and buried in the cemetery behind. That's um, right. Well, if you tell us a little bit about Henry. Yeah, so Henry, um, he moved here from the United States with his first wife, Jane Noble. Um, he do donated the land for the church, the churchyard, as well as the Orange Lodge. So he was a member of the Orange Lodge, and that's where he got the name, the Commodore. It was a nickname given to him. Um, all in all, he had about 18 children, and he was very prominent. So he, right up with Timothy Street, he's one of the founding fathers of Streetsville. Right. So he he was a farmer. He also had a brickyard um, and was very, very generous um, in the community itself. And, and, and the, again, 18 children. You can... 18. Rutledge's took over the town at one point. <laughs> and I know that there's, we won't drop names, but I know there's descendants in the community today. There uh, are. And uh, uh, George may be one of them. Um, the uh, um, Some of the other uh, stories that we can talk about, we have a fascinating one, one that, I, that I, I truly love. It is unique in our city, and that is the story of Andrew Crozier. Uh, yes. There and uh, and quite a, quite a fascinating little tidbit of history that uh, that peeks through and yeah. It is so Andrew Crozier. He was a, a single gentleman, um, a poet. He had decided um, to compose a new anthem, not just for Canada itself, but for the entire British Empire. The gentleman who composed the music portion was Henry Herbert Godfrey. And they actually approached the crown and were given permission by the king to use the crest in the official publication of that anthem. And and unique, you don't, you know, like this is a guy from, you know, a farmer from just north of Streetsville, right? Like and, and, exactly. And and, uh, and and composes a, a new anthem. And this was at the the just at the passing of Queen Victoria and the ascent of her son to the throne. So a new anthem for a new emperor or a new king. Right. Um, and uh, unfortunately, a, a short-lived reign. He, he was only on the throne until 1910. But, uh, uh, you know, here's a guy from basically Streetsville, Meadowville that wrote a song. And, exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it resonated beyond this community. And, uh, uh, yeah, it just, uh, you know, fascinating a little bit. A little yeah, and if, if you want to look it up, by all, like, all means, if you, if you, look google it up on uh, on the internet you can find the actual anthem it's very similar to god save the queen but it's sort of amended to become more modern 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and proved to be short lived because I think they reverted back to God Save the Queen. So it's uh, um, or or I guess God Save the King, the King for a period of time. But uh, from there we go to the Ramsey family, and uh, yes, I wonder if you can highlight it a bit because this was an unknown one uh, certainly for me in terms of uh, of the finding of it and beautiful monument, absolutely, it's gorgeous. But uh, wonder if you can tell me a little bit about Ramsey's. Absolutely. So if you were to stop by the cemetery and take a look at the monuments or monuments in general, a lot were made out of marble, which is porous and um, over time they disintegrate faster. But this monument's made out of granite. Now, Robert Ramsey was a very wealthy gentleman. He was a farmer in the community, lived for quite a long time. I believe he was in his 80s when he when he did pass away. Um, sadly, the story about his passing, um, if, if there was a an article in the Daily Mail and Empire in 1898 that stated that there was a coroner's inquest into his death, um, that he he passed from neglect, so he didn't have proper nursing care, proper nutrition, and it did say that it, it did hasten his death, which is very sad. Um, you know, we would hope something like that wouldn't happen today, but yeah, there were charges laid as well. Yeah, it just, it does, I mean, we hear about things like, you know, senior neglect today, and they are dark chapters of our story, but, you know, those aren't new concepts, unfortunately, and, and graveyards are, and society as a whole, are, are full of stories that are, are challenging ones, and I, and I think it's important to reflect on those, too, because, you know, we, we do have these monuments to time, but, you know, we, we sometimes lose sight of the lives, the lives, the individual lives attached to those monuments, um, mm -hmm. and, and I think it humanizes the story a little bit too, and you know, in, yeah. in lieu of a face, it puts a, a face on the story. In a sense. It does, <laughs> and, uh, and he is interred there with his his wife and and three of his children as well. So it's quite and, a large monument. Um, uh, you know, and, and speaking of those stories that challenge us a little bit, is uh, you have uh, you have one of of uh, I was going to say of loss, but I mean that that is a cemetery after all. But uh, the uh, one of of, of young loss and that belonging to the story of the Pallisters and, and wondering if you can uh, explore that with us a little bit and um, yeah so get your heart a bit yeah so Elizabeth Pallister was uh, in today's terms a younger mother 37 years old back then would be more on the middle age side um, but she died fairly young as for our standard 37 but interred with her are six of her children um, she did have a set of twins as well. I don't uh, have their exact ages offhand, but unfortunately, it's, it was very common back in the 1800s for very early 1900s where um, children didn't live very long. It was They were very lucky if they made it to their fifth birthday. Um, in our cemetery alone that we know of, and that's just of we know of, there are 72 children interred at Trinity Church. Infant mortality is is a challenge to come to terms with, but it was a reality historically. In, in terms of, you know, we, we we live in a day here, a day and age here of you know knowledge around COVID and vaccines and, and stuff, and you know how amazing it was that uh, yes, this is a challenge, but a vaccine has been developed within you know a very short period of time. You know, many of our ancestral predecessors lived in an era without vaccines uh, of any kind, and, and so. You know, common illnesses that we perhaps take for granted today took take, took lives away, uh, particularly with the young and with the with the aged, and and so you do have you know epidemics and pandemics swept through historically. You know, they weren't perhaps I would say our our historical ancestors on this landscape face more health challenges than we possibly even do. 
Um, and so something like the Pallisters really, really hammered that point home. Uh, yeah, dip, diphtheria was a major one to hit Streetsville, um, as well as the Spanish flu, but diphtheria is, is, was a major yeah. um, taker of young children, unfortunately. And they often came in waves where you have, you know, diphtheria wasn't a one-time deal, you know, it would come no. every 10 years or so. And... Some families lost all of their children within a week. You would have five gone in a matter of days. It's terrible. No, absolutely. Um, now, you you do have uh, a couple of, I, I remember trying to help you with one, and I'm not sure that we did succeed in anything, but you have a couple of mysteries with your, your cemetery, and, and, and one that, that for me, uh, I think I think you do have a little bit of leads on on the story of it, but the gravestone simply says "Our Our Charlie." Charlie, and, uh, yes. It it, it it become kind of a, a you know almost the the poster child of the story of the cemetery, and, and it has. It, that was a starting point actually for me when I was um, volunteering and decided to undertake the location of missing monuments and missing individuals. Um, I was asked by a, a member of the congregation if they could, if I could find out who this was. So I went with um, another member down to the diocese, downtown Toronto, with my with my son in a stroller, pushing through Bay Street during rush hour. It was quite the experience. Um, and when you when you arrive at the diocese, it's it's white glove treatment. So there's no photographs. You you know you have to request certain things. You can't you can, basically can't touch anything without these gloves on. So the only Charlie that I could find at the diocese was Charlie Bell. Now, Charlie Bell passed away in January of 1889. He was nine years old, and he would have been the son of a local journalist named T.J. Bell. Okay, so I figured, I mean, we figured this out. This is great. Mystery is solved. Fast forward to 2021. <laughs> I was going through some of the other archives uh, for the tour, and the church didn't have Charlie Bell listed in their their. Uh, roll call for the cemetery, we had Charlie Castler. Now, Charlie Castler also passed away in January of 1889. However, he was 16. Both children died of diphtheria. But like you said, it just says our Charlie. So now we're just trying to figure out who. You need to put an S on the end of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But no, yes. it, I mean, I mean we, we do we do make light of it a bit, but the mystery is what, what kind of draws the attention. It's such a uh, a simple, small stone with really no other clue associated. No, and it's set aside kind of on its own. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, you look around and you have all these large family plots and you just have Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. And you also have uh, a little bit of an unknown around uh, around a Mr. Israel Ransom, the first yes. postmaster. So Israel Ransom was the very first postmaster of, of Streetsville. Again, I don't have the exact dates in front of me. I believe he was around for about 20 some odd years and just one day was not the postmaster anymore, just vanished. Um, he is listed on our cemetery records. It doesn't have a date of death. It doesn't have any family listed whatsoever. It just says that he is interred somewhere in the Streetsville Cemetery. Now, as we've discussed before, and, and, and sometimes... If, if somebody passes away and there isn't family to erect a monument, a, a monument just doesn't, yeah. you know, isn't purchased, it isn't, it isn't put in place. Or he just may have not have wanted one, period. He could have been requested to be interred in Pottersfield. We just have no idea. And it is mind-boggling to have somebody as prominent as a postmaster because you couldn't have a town without a postmaster. And for him to just disappear with no family and be buried somewhere with no marking, it's... 
yeah, it's a big mystery for me that I really would like to solve. I always find that is one of the fascinating things about cemeteries is that they are not frozen in time, so to speak. The, the land moves, gravestones move. We don't think of gravestones that move, but they do. Um, gravestones fall, uh, frost and, and, and freezing and rain and all those kinds of things. They play havoc with the landscape in the cemetery, particularly stones that lie flat. And the example of the rose stone is an excellent one because you said in 2011, there was a picture of it, which means it was visible. Yes. And, and you know, 2021, it is three inches below the ground. Um, and it is, uh, yeah, so it was. <laughs> constantly moved. So I guess, I guess where that goes is that you don't know how much work you have in front of you because you're finding stones as you go along. Exactly. So originally trying to look for this monument, thinking it was the oldest one, it must be right at the front gate of the cemetery. Obviously, it must be as the first one. Um, and then conversation that you and I had shed a little bit of light on how family plots work. Um, if you own a pew, possibly, then, you know, you might be more promptly closer to the back of the church or as in the Rutledge family plot, he donated land, he donated um you know, for the church and the cemetery and so on and so forth. So he may have had first pick. We right. don't know, you know, but you look at all these big family plots. I'm thinking to myself, okay, we've got like 1850 something here, 1889 over here. It just, it wasn't making chronological sense to me. Um, and when I was looking at the registers, I didn't see anyone else with the last name Roe, you know? So it's very what could be um, that they were somewhere else. So I decided to take a backwards approach instead of walking from the, the wall of the church to the back of the church, which I had done about 15 times back and forth, I decided to go from the back of the church to the front of the church. And in that interim period of time, I had gone on a website called GenWeb and find a grave. And on GenWeb, I was able to find this monument of Ellen Rowe. Um, some of the documents I had looked at, the last name wasn't spelt correctly, the date was a little bit wrong. So when I was able to line these two up and say, hey, you know, this is 11 years ago. It didn't say exactly where in the cemetery it was. It just said, you know, is visible. So it's a bit of a long shot, but um, I ended up walking past one monument and it looked like it could have been Ellen, um, just the way the bottom of the letters lined up. Now you have to think, and I wish I took a picture of this, but I was so excited that I was like, forget it. <laughs> um, it was about 80% covered at this point. So the top, um, but this portion was covered and all you could see was about a quarter of an inch of the bottom of the letters that could possibly be Ellen. Then you had a middle segment that said wife of William and then you had the age. So when you put those three together, you're thinking, you know, a light bulb goes off. This obviously has to be it. So I called Bob down and he's another committee member um, who works with me and he, he's great on un uncovering things. I find things and he uncovers them. And about uh, 45 minutes later, we had uncovered um, the original monument. And it was an amazing condition considering it had been down there, um, you know, being gradually covered over for since 2011. So 10 years. That's crazy. And I think that's a, for people that have visited the cemetery is, is take a look at uh, I guess the, the 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 ground surface and realize how undulating that ground surface is, and a lot of that has to do with with frost and thaw cycles and all that kind of stuff. And you know, we'll we don't know how many stones you have yet to find. Um, and 
the idea that so many graves are, are unmarked in, in most historic cemeteries between a third and a half of, of, of known graves are, are unmarked, but but that means it doesn't necessarily mean there weren't stones and aren't stones, just they're not visible stones. And That's right. uh, so, so yeah, the, the, the cemetery is much more, uh, shall we say, populated than it appears. Uh, and um, uh, that, that's part of the, it's part of the fascination of a cemetery, but also part of the challenge of telling its story is, uh, as monuments disappear over time. Um, now you have, let's, uh, you know, inviting people who are here to learn more and uh, to come out and check out a historic cemetery and enjoy a, an outdoor walk. You have a, uh, the, the walking tour that you've put together, you have a couple of dates coming up. Uh, we do. And, uh, you're inviting people to come out and, and uh, visit the space, perhaps for the first time, and learn about a little bit of local history, but learn about congregation history. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the walking tour, the dates, the times, etc.? Yeah, so absolutely. So we have two. Uh, the first one will be on Sunday, October 17th at approximately 11.15, so after the service, which again, you're more than welcome to register online on our website and attend if you would like to do that as well. If not, you're also welcome to meet us up at the cemetery gates about 11.15. Uh, once we get a group together, social distance, then we will take a tour through the cemetery. There's about 13 spots. We can talk a little bit more about the mysteries of the cemetery. Um, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, oh, um, but, but the second tour as well will be on October 31st. Um, yes, that's Halloween. No, it wasn't exactly planned that way. It just uh, happened to coincide with um, my volunteer time. But uh, again, approximately 11.15, just outside the cemetery gates. There's nothing wrong with embracing history and having a walk in a cemetery on Halloween. No. Um, <laughs> so if any of you are, are curious, there is a parking space dedicated to the church um, on Pearl Street. So like we discussed, a lot of people have driven by Trinity and they don't realize that there's a cemetery there because the church is quite large and the cemetery is tucked in behind. Um, so between the church itself and the um, Streets of a Legion, if right. that gives you a sense of where the location is, but there is a large parking space um, that you're, you're free to utilize and we'd love to have you. Wonderful, and we'll, we'll share uh, we'll share links to it as well, and and uh, just uh, how people get in touch with Trinity and where to find it and and the like, and you know come out and and uh, take a walk through history and 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 reflect on the on the cemetery and and the people therein and the stories that are attached to those people, very much part of our community history. And uh, I congratulate you uh, and the cemetery committee for the ongoing work to uh kind of sh showcase and re-invite people to come and explore this historic gem in our in our in our city um i know we just have that we had an interpretive plaque unveiled a couple of weeks ago with war of 1812 uh, uh, uh veterans that are buried in your cemetery um and you know uh, future plans in the works as well in terms of uh, uh projects down the road that'll kind of invite people to come out and, and uh, share the space and explore the space with you. And so again, kudos to you and the, and the, and the cemetery team. Very, very, very Thank much, you. Uh, very much. I'm excited to see it happen. Um, anyway, so thank you for joining us. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of could help. I'm, I'm glad and, and all the best moving forward and uh, keep sleuthing and uh, Perhaps keep, I always say in the history term, keep digging, but I'm not quite sure that's the right thing in a cemetery, but. Well, uh, <laughs> in a way, my, uh, you know, it, it's like like the popular Disney movie. Sometimes when I am back there, it's keep on digging, keep on digging. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish you, you never know. Yeah, absolutely. I wish you all the best. The, all Thank the you. Best the church and to the end of, end of the end of the cemetery. But by all means, anyone listening, come out and check it out. And uh 
if your ancestors are buried here, please share their stories. Yes, please. Pictures. Uh, let's help to tell the story of the people of this congregation, the people of the cemetery. And uh, uh, as I, I know, we only touched on a few stories here, but uh, I know you have a lot more to share. And yeah, uh, we don't want to give it all away. Absolutely not. You got to come out for a reason. Just a tidbit. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for spending some time with us here at Ask a Historian. And thank you also to Amanda Templeton for sharing her passion and her interest in history with us, but also the incredible work of the cemetery community at Trinity Church in Streetsville, just highlighting the stories of, 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 of history and of that cemetery and how they connect to our community. We invite you to take part in their tours, it's again taking place on Sunday, October 17th and the 31st at roughly 11.15 p.m. at the cemetery behind Trinity Anglican Church. Uh, come out and explore and support the work of uh, of the cemetery committee. Also, from uh, for Ask a Historian, please send in your questions each and every week. You can email them to info at heritagemississauga.org and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to, up to date on, on programs and uh, future episodes of Ask a Historian. So thank you and keep exploring our history. <laughs>